Hello and welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheppard. I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? Thank you for joining us and um, especially on, a, on your Sunday. So today we're going to be talking about research trees, research family trees, and how you can achieve specific goals. And kind of like how last week was um, a, bit of, a bit of Donya getting some material off her chest, this week it's my turn to get some material off my chest. Um, part and parcel of why I want, really wanted to do this show is lately, for some reason, I've been receiving these messages on Ancestry from people questioning why my family tree is so large. So, yeah, Don, Don, we had a conversation about that on the phone. So I guess in terms of transparency, my family tree is now over 150,000 people. And I guess some people felt some kind of way about that or were taking exceptions about it. And I actually got accused of being um, a name collector. So part of today's show is kind of discussing how we use family trees, the reason why some of us have large family trees, and to kind of say not to really get hung up on numbers. Because I remember when I first started, I mean, I was pleased when I had my first 50 individuals on my, on my family tree. Um, so that was, you know, that was really kind of a proud moment of me and kind of exciting. So I don't, and you, I mean, you had a, you had a good sized tree before it all kind of got fouled up and you had to do it over again. Yeah. I mean, that actually happened a, a couple of times though. Well, the first time it happened to me, I messed my tree up and I didn't know what I was doing. So I started the whole thing over again and then I built um, another tree. And that tree was mainly for the family group that we had to call in all branches. But then I realized, well, I'm actually, then I, oh, no, then I did another tree that was connected to DNA and somebody kind of got mad. <laughs> Just say it like that. And um, so they somehow was able to mess up my tree. After that, I, um, I redid an entire tree, merged my, calling our branches tree with doing this and now my tree is a is a specific tree although it's connected to to some extent to brian's it's its own it's still its own entity entity because we use brian's tree for one thing and then my tree for another so that's how we you know work mm -hmm. that out so before i get stuck in i just wanted to give a couple of people a shout out um yeah. hi karen uh karen's joining us from denmark and hello, Deborah and Lisa. Hi, hi, Shirley as well, and Deborah and Martha. Yep. So. so we got South Carolina, Denmark, Atlanta in the house. I'm so excited. And Virginia. And Virginia. <laughs> and Virginia. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I just kind of want to spend a just a little bit of time talking about the evolution of a family tree, kind of using mine as an example. So when I first started, you know, I, I probably spent about a good year mm -hmm. just concentrating on my direct line, both on my father and my mother's side. Um, and that year really gave me a really good opportunity to learn about the different kind of records that were available, the different kinds of information that I could pull from those records. And while I was adding siblings and aunties and uncles and whatnot, I really was just focusing primarily on my, on my direct lines. So as I said, that gave me a really good grounding, a really good understanding of best genealogical practice. I did a lot of reading, found out how to source things and how to cite things. And you know, once the tree, you know, once I was really kind of confident in what I was learning and being able to pull those pieces of the puzzle together, the tree naturally started to get bigger. 
So you can, you know, you can imagine I've been doing this for nearly 20 years now. So I've kind of found out you know, as much information as I can, I would say going back to at least my fourth great grandparents. And from there, it slowly started turning into a research tree. I mean, especially when we're talking about researching enslaved people, um, adding every, you know, every enslaved person mentioned in every deed, every will, every estate inventory, you are going to get to a point where you're going to be related to some of those people, and you're not going to be related to others. And that doesn't really particularly bother me, because if you're African American, and you're doing research, and I don't even care if it's free people of color or enslaved, it's tough. It's hard going. So even if those people don't turn out to be my relations, I still keep them in the tree um, because hopefully it's paying it forward and it's going to make it that much easier for someone to find out more about their family. Right. So and know. a lot of people don't realize, you know, you have you have people who are doing their research, doing this family history, and, and they don't really take stock in it like everybody does. Everybody, in other words, everybody is at a different level. So what you're doing, the way your tree is set up, your tree is set up to help anybody that connects, period. You know, that's it. It's just anybody that connects. My tree is set up specifically for our very extremely large family. I'm not helping. I mean, I will help you. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I will help you. But your helping is your help that I do for you has nothing to do with my personal tree. So unless you actually connect to that tree, then, okay, I'm, I'm helping you there. But if you send me a message and say something to me about, Hey, I'd like to know this, 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 or this, if I can help you, then I will. I mean, if it gets to the point where it has to be a charge connected to it, then I'll let you know, you know what? I can do this, but we're going to have to do this on a service level as opposed to, Oh yeah, look at this. So it all depends on what level you are as far as that research is concerned. Brian's tree is is our family tree, but it's our family tree with a kick. <laughs> well, let me, I'm going to guess. You can explain what the kick is, but I, I actually want to take a guess on this one because I've done so much work on, our Virgin, on the Virginia mm-hmm. lines. You're... I'm kind of, well, I like to think that I'm paving the way for other Edgefieldians by doing, concentrating on, Virginia for the past couple of months is that when you guys start breaking out of South Carolina and North Carolina going back into Virginia that work will already have been done right and yeah because I won't leave South Carolina and I've been doing doing it for 20 plus years and yeah my family won't leave South Carolina I cannot get back there I don't know why it won't come out I came out one time with the Adams family but that was going forward not going backwards my Adams family left and went into North Carolina. I haven't gone back to them since. Well, am I right in thinking you've, you have done a little bit of work on your Yeldells in Virginia? Or at least you have identified Yeldells. I who know are who in. they, yes. yes. I know who they are, but to say that it's on my tree, no, it is not no. on my tree. But I do know who they are, but I have a, a great mentor that helped me with the Yeldells too. My, my Candace is awesome. And she did a she did so much work on on the Yeldale line that while I was looking at it and while I was dealing with it, she had already done it. I just needed to find it for myself. So that was the thing, you know, with Candace with with the Yeldales. I actually have them in Europe, so I know who the first person was as far as they're concerned. And then after that, it just turns to hell. But yeah, 
Yeah, so. Another example I would give is my mother's father. So as I think I've shared this with you guys before, I've certainly written about it. You know, we grew up with this story that my maternal grandfather's father was this big burly Irishman called Patrick Turner um, from, you know, Washington, D.C. That's the story that we grew up with. So when I did a DNA test and found out that he was not, my grandfather's father, but yeah. instead it was an, un, you know, it was at that time, it was an unknown Jewish man whose identity has been found. Um, all of that, that just made all of the work. I must have spent about five years researching the Turners, you the did. Turners and the Birches from Charles County, Maryland. Um, I could have made the decision to delete all of it because they're not my blood kin. Um, but I thought that that, and hopefully this is going to be, this is going to generate some, some questions and some comments from, um, from the viewers. Right. Ultimately, ultimately, the reason why I didn't cancel it, there were two reasons. One, as I said before, there may be descent, there are actual blood relatives who are going to research their family and all of that, you know, that work has been done to them. But at the end of the day, my grandfather and his sisters were raised by those people. Right. They knew them. They had a close relationship with them. And it just seemed really mean and really churlish to um, to just delete them because they're no longer blood relations. Right. And, you know, good work should, you know, you shouldn't delete you good shouldn't work. You shouldn't delete good work. <laughs> I mean, that was a lot of work that you did for them to, so, so now you're supposed to delete it. But I think that some people get jealous because they see the work. Because, I mean, y'all tell me if, if I'm wrong. Y'all know these, y'all know. Y'all know when when you start seeing all these names and you see all this stuff up there, and that's a lot of work, and you can't do anything but what am I trying to say? You can't do anything but you know be like, wow, how did they do all that work? How did that happen? And is that a form of jealousy to a certain degree? Because it gets so hard to find your family sometime, and and. Here you have this man who has 150,000 names on his tree, and they're like, oh, he didn't know enough. That didn't happen. You know? <laughs> he didn't do that. So, I don't know. I mean, it could be anything. I don't know. But again, when I first started genealogy, and I joined upon ancestry and started looking at other people's trees, if anything, it inspired me. You know, it gave me the confidence that I could I could find that kind of information and I could take my ancestral lines. At that point, I, I never conceived that I would be able to take it back with enslaved people in the 1600s, but I, it never occurred to me to be jealous. It just inspired me to do the work. No, that's, that's because it's not in your nature. I think a lot of people, I think sometimes jealousy has to be in your nature. Mm. I don't know why I feel like that, so please don't ask me. But I do. I just think because if you don't have the the mindset, you know how, how much time it takes to be jealous of somebody. That means you have to actually like really spend energy on it, and that's that's that energy you don't you you don't give that energy. So no. who cares? Okay, I'm gonna stop because I was like, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> but y'all know me. I can I can be a certain. So I'm going to say that over the last eight years, my tree has morphed into becoming, instead of just being my family tree, I think it was Edgefield that did it. When, I, when you and I were talking in the very beginning when we first met each other, um, I had no idea that Edgefield, everyone in Edgefield was more or less related to each other. Yeah. 
Um, so none again, of us did. None of us did. So, and we continue to find mm-hmm. more and more connections and it's just absolutely crazy. So when you start realizing that, especially this is for rural communities, I can't say the same thing about urban, urban environments, but for rural places, when you start discovering that you are actually related to at least 85, if not more, percent of an entire county, exactly, you're going to have a big tree. There, exactly. There, there's just no, there's just no two ways getting of getting around that. Exactly. But the way that my tree is morphed into more of a overall, I'm going to call it an American history research tree. Because that's exactly what it is. That's what all. That's what all of us are doing. Yes. You know, you guys at home who are listening, Donnie and I up here chatting. Whether we realize it or not, we are filling in those gaps in American history that I'm not going to say that they're entirely ignored, but they're not really discussed. Some parts are ignored. Some parts are not. Some parts, they just choose to not discuss it. I mean, we because our tree covers everything. Like, have y'all been following? I know, okay, for those that have been following Genealogy Adventures, let me tell y'all something. I don't have anything to do with what Brian is doing right now with that weeping time. I need everybody to know <laughs> that this is him and our cousin in Ireland, um, Martin. Martin. That I don't have anything to do with that. That has to be one of the most amazing things that you have been doing. Like y'all, y'all just don't know how proud I am of my cousin. Oh, thank you. Like I am extremely proud of him, and and I want to be like him when I grow up. That's how. That's how that is. But that weeping time thing and finding all of those slave ships, those names. All of that stuff is in your tree right now. Am I correct? It's in my tree and publicly available. You see what I'm saying? So now anybody who can, who is doing any kind of research on their family just as a whole, and they end up finding out that one of their family members was on one particular slave ship that happens to be on your tree. It, it opens up a whole new world for them. There's no way that that's not a history-making tree. Your tree in itself is a historic tree. And, and this, is, this is for everybody. You know, all of us have our own type of history connected to our tree. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Brian's tree is just better than everybody's. Everybody has something on their tree that's special, that, that means something to them. But his tree is just different. And and I is is different. And for those that don't like it, don't look at it. That's how I am. I'm I'm the I'm the uh, bodyguard. So I'm gonna protect is, my cousin. She does. <laughs> she is, and she does. <laughs> I'm gonna protect mine. So I'm just but telling you. That's a classic. Re- that's a classic example of how my tree has morphed and changed over time to become more of an overall research tree. So to cut a very long story short, um, and again, thank you to, to our cousin Martine for involving me, because this basically the Weeping Time project started as um, an MA dissertorial project for her. And in the course of working on that with her and, and researching the people who were sold as part of the Weeping Time, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what that is, in 1859, over a three-day period in a racetrack in Savannah, in the Savannah, Georgia, in the pouring rain, over 440 enslaved um, African-Americans were sold um, by Pierce Meese Butler to settle his crazy debts. Um, and they were sold here, there, and everywhere. 
So originally the project was to find the descendants of those, the people who are, who are sold. And a lot of work had already been done on that. So again, for all of you, like Annette Holmes and so many of people out there who in, uh, have built websites to share their information and to have actually tracked some of those lines down, thank you enormously, because that really sped up our research. You know, we've, I like to think that we've added to that. But the whole, <clears throat> once I got stuck into it, I began to realize that I was actually related to some of these people, to some of these people, as are you, mm -hmm. and as are many people um, within our cousin group within Edgefield. So I became even more invested because I want to know who those people were right. that were sold to families that we suspect bought them and brought them from Charleston. And, and is it Buford or Beaufort? I can never know how to pronounce that. I think it's Beaufort because there is a Buford, B-U-F-O-R-D. That's what I get confused about. So, I'm going to call it Beaufort, South Carolina, to Edgefield. Because if you're familiar with the kind of geography of South Carolina, Charleston's all the way down at the bottom of the state. And Edgefield and, well, Old 96 is much further up. Right. You know, we were even talking about how long we thought it would take for hundreds of shackled human beings to actually walk from, from Charleston we to did, Edgefield. We never did figure that, did we? I reckon it at weeks. Yeah. It, weeks. Um, so again, part of that journey was once I actually understood that we had a genetic connection to this story, was pushing it much further back to slave importers, um, the Bull family, the Middleton family, the Pierce family. And as Donnie was saying, I've managed to track down about 22 of the, the slave ships that um, they used that sailed, sailed from Bristol in England to places like Windward, uh, Windward Island, the Gold Coast, Gambia, Benin. Angola, that's where they were bringing them all from, um, to Charleston. So what I, again, what I tried to do in my tree, because it's a research tree, was name the ships, name, give the year, give the sale, the sales date, and I'm going to tell you how I found the sales dates, um, roughly the number of Africans that were shipped from Africa to uh, South Carolina, and managed to find the captains' names, mm. because we know captains didn't play much. Well, we know what the some of the captains were like. So people may wonder why they have a DNA connection to certain white families, either in England, because some of the captains were from Bristol, right. or Liverpool, which is where one of them came from, or South Carolina. Well, that DNA connection could have come from the captain. Yeah. Or one of the crew members. I'm still trying to find the, the manifest for the crew. So basically what I'm hoping to do and what Martine's hoping to do is to get the name. We will they would not have named the Africans. I doubt very much if they, they're going to be grouped. They're going to say it was 100 men, 100 women, and 150 kids. So you don't think that there, any of them will have names connected to it? I doubt it. I doubt it. But we, you know, we, hopefully we will have the crew names. So matching that, because we knew the years that the ship arrived in, in Charleston, uh, I got the bright idea, oh, well, they would have advertised it they have hundreds of enslaved Africans to sell. Right. You couldn't do it through word of mouth. They didn't have the internet. Right. So they <laughs> no phones. So they took <laughs> no phones. So they did it through newspaper adverts. And I actually found digitized copies of the South Carolina Gazette, which cost some coin. But I took, I got the membership. I actually got, and that's where I got so much of that information from, was that's just awesome. those little slaves for sale adverts. That's awesome. But so we have like um, 
We had some more people add on. Friend of mine from college, Deborah. Hello. And Elizabeth Davis, who is just added on, and Joan and Catherine, you guys. And my wonderful, wonderful cousin, Laura. I haven't seen mm -hmm. her or talked to her in so long. Need to, you know, talk to her. But hi, Laura. So I wanted, you know, to just say hi. Shelly came, Shelly Murphy. She said, my tree on Ancestry is public and full of brick walls. The tree is a cousin baby. <laughs> and, and, and that's I like funny. That. I like, I that, like that. You know, to call it because that means that people are coming in and they're like, wait a minute, I see this name. Why is this name on my tree? That's actually what I just did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, because we have somebody who says today, I ended up finding a lady who um, is, she has this particular picture that she puts beside the names of people who are related to her via DNA. So one of those people, well, all of those people are my family that she has those people by, that those that picture by. Here's the catch. She's a white lady. I'm, of course, I'm black, but I have mulatto family members and we know for a fact in certain families who our white father or grandfather was mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But I'm, I'm confused with her because she doesn't match any of our DNA family. <laughs> so I'm wondering why does she have the DNA name picture beside those particular names? I mean, if she's family, she's family. Then it is what it is. I, I have no issues with it. Um, but it's just, I, I'm interested. So that was bait. That was clickbait. <laughs> and so I, I've sent her a message and I'm excited about it. But I wanted to, before you say anything, according to Google, it would take only two days to walk from Charleston to Edgefield. That's what this says. 146.4. Oh, but miles. that's cleared. But that's, that's cleared roads. That's cleared roads. So given taking it back, I still think it'll be about a week. Yeah. And then the fact we're talking about those who were shackled. So, you know, they had a lot of different things that was going on during that time. So I still think it would, it would take about a week. Yeah, I agree. And that's also, I think, nonstop. I just don't, I can't, I can't imagine walking to Charleston in two days. But this mm. is 48 hours, 146 miles in 48 hours. Listen, on a good, in, in a good week, when I'm feeling kind of robust and healthy, it would take me two to, more than two days to cycle. How about that? Just, me just, too. To, just on a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on a bike, it says, now what does it say on a bike? It says 12 hours and 35 minutes on a bike. Mm, that's some wishful thinking. That's yeah. all I have to say. Yeah, about that's that. how I feel. I feel it's <laughs> wishful as well, but that's what Google says. <laughs> <laughs> and Shelly Murphy also raises a good point that the work that she's doing, another reason why it's public, is so that descendants of her family can still have access right. to, um, to that data. Right, right. So, I mean... <laughs> Why don't you guys give us some type of moment or time mm -hmm. where you felt like someone contacted you and they were being just petty. Pet. That's perfect. That's perfect. I know that like one time for Brian, he called me and he was like, I, I don't even understand why people do this. And I said, <laughs> what's wrong, Brian? He was like, how are you going to ask me? I have at this time, I think it was like 130 something thousand. 
He was like, I have 136,000 people on my tree and you're just going to come to me and say, how do you relate to so-and-so? And I said, okay, and he said, that's it. <laughs> and that's all that they said was how do you relate and then gave the person's name. Well, it's not this ancestor. I think I remember who they asked about, but I'll give an example. It's like asking me, well, how are you related to Mary Peterson? Which one of the 50 Mary Petersons oh my in God. my tree in Edgefield who are all related to each other? Right. Which one? Right. You can't sit here and say, well, I have a Robert on my, the Robert Yeldale on my tree. Really? Because I got 30. <laughs> you need to explain to me what it was, who, which one, give me some years, give me some information. Don't just come and say, yeah, how do you relate to Robert Yeldale? Mm. So actually, while we're the, on this subject, um, my advice is always, especially if you want to get a quick reply from me on, on Ancestry, and bear in mind, I can get anything from 10 to 15 messages a day on Ancestry alone. Forget Facebook, forget my heritage. I just got my first two on 23andMe. My test has only been available on 23andMe for like two days. Oh, wow. <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, the more information, the precise, more specific you can be is great. So a full name, use women's maiden name. Yes. Please do not ask me about a woman and then use her married name. Yes. A, even a, I don't need the full birth date, the year of birth, the year, is the year of death, name of parents, and name of spouse. Yeah. That's, I mean, a, that's all I need. That's all anybody needs to even start your tree. So act like you're getting ready to start a tree when you're asking somebody a question when you're trying to do that you know so tiffany huntsman says yes someone contacted me about petty stuff a line they asked me who my grandparents were to relate to one set of their third great grandparents <laughs> what i mean that's all they said that's the only that's the only if you can't you can't do that so i i I can't, I don't know. My, my whole thing is, is that if you're gonna, if you're gonna contact me, you need to give me more information than just a person's name. Cause again, I'm thinking about how an adoptee, cause as far as we're aware, we don't have any adoptions in our direct lines. We have them in other parts of our family. Oh yes, you did. <laughs> Sorry. You did. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> But again, an adoptee is going to have a different style, not a different style of tree, but they will use their tree differently because they're trying to figure out, you know, if they've done a DNA test, they're hoping they're going to be able to find their, their missing family members. Right, right. So you have to build shadow trees. And what's the, what's the other kind of, there's another term for it. I've heard the shadow trees. Shadow trees. We'll, we'll, we'll go with shadow trees. Yeah. Um, because it really is hit or miss. You're trying to make sense of different family groups that you're seeing in your DNA results. Right. You know, you're right. literally having to, to build a tree with no guidance at all. So you're going to probably end up that, well, I guess if people are turning up in your DNA results, they're going to be a cousin of some description. Right, right. And then when they come and they, and they end up being like those first and second cousins, and it throws you off. You're looking mm -hmm. at this, like, I mean, can you imagine an adoptee looking at, somebody who's a first cousin to them and they're like first cousin that means their mom or dad is my aunt or uncle that's a lot that's a whole lot to take in to to be able to understand so you're either going to you know be accepted by it or not oh he she said non-fraternity events is that what you was talking about mpes mpe trees 
Oh, I haven't even gotten into that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we're going there. Do you want to do MPEs? No, not at all. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the. Mm. But that would be a flip side of, a, of an adoption. It is. Well, it is. well no, because I had a non-paternity non event with my grandfather. I, I've helped four, to be honest. I, I, and they have blown me away each time. I've helped four. Um, it's, been, it's been a struggle with it because you don't know how your family is going to react to finding certain things out. So mm -hmm. for non-paternity events, they're kind of... Um, they can reopen the old wounds. Yes. That's, I, <laughs> is, that, is that diplomatic enough? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It can, it can, it can even create this huge, because if you, you know, non-paternity event, in, in some instances, people don't even know that that's what it is. You know, I had one that actually had that. She, she thought her father was her father. The man that raised her was her father. And then all of a sudden, Ancestry did something with their algorithms and sent her an apology saying, yeah, we gave you the wrong information, not your brother, your dad. So it, it's been, you know, you, you have to be able to take that in. And she's a great, great yeah. person because not only did she embrace it, she took a hold of it and she got her siblings you know she she knows who her family is and it's just been an awesome adventure for her but you have people on the other side who gets mad at me like i did it <laughs> you know or like i went and searched this out or i went and said well okay while you're trying to get this together I noticed another thing. Do you mind if I look into it and you just blow up and it's just a whole bunch. So you have to, um, you have to really be able to handle that. You have to be a strong person to handle that. Where I was very blessed because my mother's family, they were interested. They were, you know, they were gen generally interested. It was easier for me because no, apart from, you know, not being Irish, she was actually Jewish from um, Ukraine. And the Jewish population in DC was small, especially in Northwest. I mean, if you're gonna have, you could imagine me trying to find a cone in New York. Okay. That would have been hell. That, yeah, right. DC, pretty easy. And it was pretty easy to work out how everyone, how all of my DNA matches, my Jewish ones, how they fit together to be able for me to determine how I fit into that picture. Right, right. And then found this weird random second 1910 census where my grandmother was, my great grandmother was listed in two 1910 censuses. Right. Never saw the second one that mm -hmm. actually had her as, as a maid in the household of the man that she had her children with. Wow, wow. So that, that in the end of the day, that kind of sealed the deal. Okay. So Martha's called it mirror trees. That's the other, that's the other okay, phrase. Okay, so that's the other phrase that you were looking for. And um, then Tip, no, not Tiffany, Angie Cartwright. She said, this is hitting home for me. Thank you. I am very interested to know how this is hitting home for you. If if it's something that you can talk about, please put put something up there so people can, you know, really understand 
what it is that you are saying. And then Tiffany's working on two MPEs. Tiffany is one of our cousins who definitely we talk to on a regular basis as far as research is concerned. And then Deborah said that happened to me, an adoptee who took a DNA test, found me as a first cousin, opened up a whole new line of relatives, which is great. She said, we started asking aunts and uncles, do you have a child out there? <laughs> hey, that's sometimes that's all that you can do. So it's, it's, a, it's a, um, non-fraternity events are very, they're interesting and they, they can go either way. They can be extremely wonderful or they Not. could be, you know, family breaking up type things. Mm. It, it really yeah. can. It really can. And I definitely want to get your feedback and feedback of the, the, the viewers on the next one. So one kind of genealogy research that descendants of enslaved people have to do, and to some extent I would say free people of color, is our history is wrapped up with the enslaving families that owned our families. Whether they were our blood relations right. or not, our history is wrapped up in their history. So if the only way that you can find details of you know, your family and specifically going back over generations in the past, you have to research those enslaving families, which means you have to build trees for them. You have to add the records for them. You have to track the enslaved people that they held going from one generation to the next to be able to unravel your own family's history. And again, that's without you being related, you know, that's whether you're related to them or not. And I wish that descendants of enslaving families would get that. Because mm -hmm. I had a message last month from, um, from a gentleman who had gotten a really, really hostile message on ancestry. Basically going, why, you know, you're black, I'm white, we're not related, why do you have my family in your tree? Um, and he didn't like it when the researcher came back to him and it's like, well, your family enslaved my family. It's like, I have no feelings on that. I just want the information about my family, and I can't do that without researching yours. Right. And the descendant just didn't get it. He was just really, really angry and really, really hostile that a black person had all of his family details in the, in their tree. Wow. So, what what is your feeling on that? I can't um, say my feelings. <laughs> no, seriously. Ch channel your inner diplomat. Okay, so um, my feelings on that. I've had that happen to me, and you know that. Oh, oh, yes. You yes. know that. So, yes. and even when that happened to me, I had the nerve to meet the woman face to face after she told me, and I mean, she said this, y'all. Oh, my family doesn't have black people in their family. That's literally what she came out and said. So to meet someone. So, okay, I'm not giving no names. I'm just going to give you the, the, what happened. Basically, um, I got to a certain line and realized, okay, we have a white connection in here. Let me look it up. Like all researchers, we go to Google. We, we Google that person's name. Well, this particular family has an entire organization. And I ended up sending an email. And when I sent the email, I gave some little information about my personal family on what I was doing and how I was researching and everything. And then I made the phone call. 
when I got, when I made the phone call, she had to know who I was. So I had to give her some background of who I was and saying that I had sent this particular email. And once I sent the email, she said, oh yeah, we don't have black people. No, I'm sorry. No, that's not us. We don't have black people in our family. Click up. She hung up. I'm like, oh, 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 okay. So then I travel to the place. And when I get there, she's there. Same woman. And I lied to you guys not. She looked at me. She was like, oh, yeah, all of our families are related. Now, y'all know me. <laughs> I, I don't hide nothing. I really can't hide it on my face. So my, my wonderful and lovely Sheila, she just started doing like this. Come here, baby. Come here. And I'm like, but, but Sheila, she said, uh-uh, come here, baby. Because <laughs> I was confused as to how on one hand, you're going to tell me we have no black people in our family. And then on the other hand, oh, yeah, in front of black people. Oh, yeah, we're all related. But you wasn't, you didn't want to help me. And let me say this. She took the information that I sent to her on email and researched my family. So I'm like, why are you, why are you doing this? So I, I have now, you know, what, what's real funny is later on, Brian crosses the same person. And the first thing I said to him, she don't tell you, you know, black people in her family, be careful. Mm-hmm. And what did she say, Brian? She did not have black people in her family. <laughs> that was it. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm at a point now where when they do that, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll find it another way. And I'll, and I'll get it another way. And I think Sharon Rowe is a perfect example of that. Now, this is a white lady who embraces her cousins, her male, mm-hmm. her, her black cousins, her her different race cousins, because it doesn't matter to Sharon what it is, who they are, what race they are. Once she finds out your family, your family, your family point blank. So she would have to go to some of her other family members who are not as accepting as she is and had to find something. Do you remember when she and Mandawa and they were trying to prove Mandawa's relationship to her? When they found that out, when I tell you guys she went off on Facebook like, yeah, and I found this, and I did this, <laughs> and I got that, and I didn't need any of y'all, and I'm ordering Mandawa's kilt today. And she, that's so and that's so unlike her. <laughs> very unlike her. Very unlike her. So, you know, with that being said, she you everybody is not like that. But in the same instance, they have it within their families where their own families don't even mm-hmm. want to accept. Y'all need to understand that this is history and this is life. And 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 that's what's going to happen. And another cousin, Missy, is exactly the same way. Oh, I love Missy Price with everything in me. I, I just do. And she has no cut cards with her. Nope. Doesn't blink, doesn't doesn't feed us, doesn't miss a beat. No, she doesn't, doesn't bother her at all. Doesn't bother her at all. She knows that her family, she knows what happened in her family and, and she's accepted it. And the main thing about her is that she knows that it wasn't her. And nobody's mad at her. Yeah. Nobody's even mad at this point. It's the past. You gotta let it go. And I think if more enslaving families realize that real researchers, real Family historians, real 
genealogists, all they want to know is how. That's it. That's all we want. We just want to know how. And, well, you know, as I kind of explained to our South Carolina cousin who said she had no black people in her family, I'm like, look, I'm not expecting a birthday card, Christmas <laughs> presents, Christmas cards. I don't even expect you to pay my student loan. All I need from you is information. How about that? That's it. So I've got one more, and then we have a couple of messages to read yeah, out. Yeah. So I also wanted to get people talking about ways that black and white genealogists can actually work together. Let me give you an example give you an example, two examples. So in deep in the depths of Southwest Virginia um, was a two times great grandmother, Anne St. Clair. And I had all of these St. Clair and Sinclair DNA matches who were all white. So I'm like, oh, okay. And coming from different parts of Virginia, but I'm like, oh, okay, that's a really rare name. It is not a common name. I'm like, we must be related then. So took a little while usual triangulation, DNA work, it took us about almost a year to be able to figure out who her father was, who was indeed a St. Clair. And then because it's genealogy and it's me, there was a question mark over who, and her father was on her white enslaver. There was a question mark over who his father was. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's taken me almost a year, well, the whole team a year to figure out who her father was. You mean we have to go and do it all over again mm -hmm. for this one? Um, but working together as a team, we found his father, which, and we could take him all the way back to Scotland. Once we had that, we could take him all the way back to Scotland. Notified the Sinclair Family Association. Hi, I'm not looking for a membership. It's just my team, the Genealogy Adventures geneticists. We have figured out who Robert Alexander Sinclair from Staunton, Virginia's father was. We just want you to know, happy to send you all the DNA testing proof and all the stuff that had been collected, wasn't interested. So not only did I help myself out by finding out who Anne's father was, I helped out all of those Sinclairs that got, long story short, there was a Native American attack and they just got scattered to the four winds. Um, helped that family to be able to stitch itself back together. Wow. So other descendants have reached out and it's like, thank you for your work. Thank you for sharing it. This is really amazing. And all this is on your tree. All this is on the tree. See? But the, the family association doesn't want to know. That's crazy. So Tiffany asked the question. She said, how frequent are MPEs from 1870s? Oh, I'm going to say MPEs were, I'm not going to say they were every day, but I'm not going to say they were uncommon either. And it goes back much, much further than that date. It really does. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's, we can't even put a number on that. No. It, it, it's, I, well, I know as far as the researching on, as far as our family, Tiffany, we cannot put a number on that. Because again, I'm gonna say this again, Brian and I are related seven different ways. Some of them we mm -hmm. know who, some we don't. That's all non-paternity. Oh, well, the, <laughs> the seven we know, but that's just South Carolina. We know we're going to have, we don't know who our common ancestors were coming out of North Carolina and Virginia. So we're going to have more. But we know our common ancestors out of South Carolina, but we don't know who the father, like for, for Martha, for example. Yeah. We have no idea because she was a breeder. Yeah. We connect, but we don't we know. We connect, how. but we, we don't know who it is. And then it's certain, you know, so it's certain ones we know and certain ones yeah. we don't. Mm -hmm. And, and those are all non-paternity events yep all of them so you have non-paternity events with breeding because you're never gonna you now i'm not gonna say you're never gonna know 
but it's going to be harder for you to find out who the male is if one male came from one slave plantation and another and a female came from another slave plantation and you you got to find out which the plantations it was and you know it's a lot of stuff like well actually martha's a really good, good example it's a good topic we can spend some time on this one <laughs> because again for edge i'm not what well, i'm just going to limit it to our edge field research in the 1870 census, it was not uncommon to find a head of household being a female. Nope. Martha's the perfect case, so still not entirely sure if the man that she's with was the father of all of her children that she's with in 1870, most of her children. But we don't but know who the man is. We don't know, yeah. He yeah. was never listed. <laughs> so, yeah. And then by 1880, she was a widow. Yeah. So we, we, we really don't know. And that you're right, she is a, a, she's a good prime example. Um, but yeah, we, most of our, a lot of our families, especially back then, because we do come from breeding women. I have at least four family members who are certain that they have at least one woman who was a breeder during that time period, during the enslaving time period. And so with that being said, we, yeah, there are a lot of non-paternity events. And thinking about my Virginia and North Carolina history, I'm just going to even I'm just going to use the the Cumbo family um, as an example. I descend from a, a free woman of color called Elizabeth Cumbo, who is a she is a descendant of Emmanuel. No one knows who the father of her children was. Mm. We believe he was white because of some of the the Y DNA testing that's been done, but we we have to treat each and every one of her children as a non-paternity event because we just don't have a name. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to read out some of the messages? Yeah, I'm looking at some. It says, okay, I'm like seeing more possibilities. Oh, Tiffany said that then the two I'm working on from that time period. Okay, so Anne L. Kenyon says, what does NPE mean? It means non-paternity event. So it could be a father, it's a father but you don't know who he is. Yeah. That's what it is. Or you think someone's someone's father, and it turns out when you do a DNA test, oh, right. three times great-granddad was not two times great Sorry, four, two right. times great-grandfather's father. Really not, yeah, that's, yeah. That wasn't daddy for real. So. And again, with slavery, there are parts of our family where people die tragically young. And mm. I think that messed up a lot of our 1870 kind of census household. Because it took us a long time for some families to realize, oh, well, those are grandkids, those are nieces and nephews. Yes, yes. And then to find out that their parent, you know, they were basically orphans, which is why they were living in that household. Yeah, I just remembered there's um, somebody on one of our, and I don't know if you have it, but I just caught it. Uh, there is, is that Eliza? It's a Peterson. Mm -hmm. And Peterson. I know it's always a Peterson, <laughs> but it's a Peterson family tree and I ended up, didn't realize that I actually had one of their grandchildren listed as a child. Oh. I'll let you know who it is because I don't know if you have it or not. And I had to remove them. Yeah. So you know that's that's something else. You, you gotta pay attention to your um what are they? Census records. You have to pay attention to them because if you don't pay attention to them, I'm telling y'all I have looked at the 1870 census one million and five times. And I promise you, every time I look at that deck on census record, I see something different or something that's leading me in another direction. 
those census records are so valuable, mm -hmm. especially the 1900 and the 1910 census. They're so valuable. You have to make sure that you're looking at every single one of them. Sworn it was. What? Okay, so from Cali, uh, which is one of the uh, also one of the Weeping Time researchers, um, as a descendant of enslavers, I just don't understand the dismissive attitude. We, you know, we can all help each other, absolutely, even if it means confronting difficult truths or shifting your established family narrative. Yes. Um, am I shifting in my own family? Um, perfect examples of that. So actually it was my white Sheffy cousins were the first descendants of white enslavers that I had ever met in the entirety of my life. And sure, you know, it was initially awkward because we knew why we were, you know, we knew why we were related. Um, but within 15 minutes of chatting, everyone was relaxed. And, you know, in a way it was like, we kind of knew each other the entirety of our lives. Mm -hmm. And actually funnily enough, you know, kind of chatting about their ancestors and me chatting about my Sheffy, you know, the, the black Sheffy ancestors, we actually realized we had a lot in common. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can honestly say that when I first started doing my research on my Yaledale line and I'm sitting here. So one of the things that I did, I did a lot of cold calls because I didn't know what I was doing at all. So I did a lot of cold calls. And when I was doing those cold calls, I'm looking and I'm like, Talking to these different people. Let me tell y'all something. Yeldales are so stuck up. And I love y'all. I love the Yeldales. Don't get me wrong. But y'all some stuck up people. Because I would have emails in my thing. I would send an email out or I would do a phone call. And with the emails, I would have somebody say, yeah, um, somebody else trying to be a Yeldale. Really? I'm not trying to be anything. I am one. I need you to understand that. So... But it was so funny that when I would talk to these ladies who married these men and they these Yaledale men and they would talk about how charismatic they were and how how all the women loved them and then it was a tear when he when he got married to me and this that and the third. When I tell y'all that is my cousins, my uncles, my brother, brothers, I am not lying. That is the exact same family. So it was amazing to see that connection mm. without even knowing that that was a connection. This was before DNA for me. This was before, you know, <laughs> and, and you were already showing me that we were connected. So yeah, I definitely, definitely. But we have a lot, let me see. So we're getting ready. We, this show went fast. It did. And um, Tanya McCoy says, I have a Peterson in my family from Florida to Georgia, then finally in North Carolina. I just love you both. Oh, we love you too. And your Peterson <laughs> is probably our cousin because they went into Florida as well. Angie Cartwright, she finally responded. I want to say this real quick. She says, being adopted is just harder. The closest match I have is a first cousin once removed, making it look like my biological father being born in 1903. That alone threw me off a little bit. I'm sure it did. No, I'm yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Because um, I guess, well, thinking about it, that's just not a date you would have expected. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure how, how old you are. So, I don't know. Send me a message. <laughs> 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 Let's see. I, you know, see, I, 
Ooh. What? Enoch. It's Tony has said Enoch Peterson is his name. Girl, yeah, you are a cousin. Yeah, you're a cousin in more than one way. More than you know, honey. Enoch, mm-hmm. Enoch Peterson, I know. Well, actually, that is him. That's, that's him. him. He went to Florida. Yeah, that's him. Okay. Yeah, you yeah, you are a cousin. That's the Peterson's girl. You can find him on either Donia's tree or the genealogy adventures yeah, tree. Well, there. you can find him on a few trees, but definitely ours. Come to ours because the Peterson tree is broken down to everything. Oh, she said she was born in 72, so she's my age. Oh, yeah. Send us a message, Angie. So, okay, y'all. We, the show is over. It is over. My final party message is the takeaway from this, and don't really have to say it to you guys, but to new people watching the show, be kind to one another. Everyone has a tree for different reasons. They're looking for different things and have different strategies, so just be kind. Did you get everything off your chest? I did. Thank you. Isn't it just free and it's lifting? It's it? good. Yeah. All right, you guys. So, um, did we know next week's show yet? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that later. So, we will definitely let you know next week's show, either tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the show. We love you guys. And this was great. Our viewership was great. And Kevin, you know you can always go back and watch it. Calm down. He said, no, I missed it. <laughs> but that's okay. He, that's 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 my love. He knows I love him dearly. So again, I'm Donya. I'm Brian. Thank you guys for watching. And see you next week at 4 o'clock. Yes. Bye. Bye.